actually was offered a job by IBM to oh, be wow. a network architect, but it was going to be a road warrior. It was going to be 12 hours a day. You know, it was going to be flying all over and basically hiring multiple people to do what I was doing with my kids because my husband couldn't back off of his job either. He was doing very well. He's very successful. He's on yeah. Wall Street. And that was not something that he could do, right? Mm -hmm. So I was going to do it and I was preparing myself mentally to do it and take the job. And we found out my son couldn't read. Oh, he was wow. eight years old and he had been uh, fooling everybody by contextually putting things together. One of my first jobs was drilling holes in circuit boards in Dad's back shed or maybe one cent a hole. There were hundreds of those suckers, I tell you. Dad would design and create circuit boards from scratch. No fancy smancy computers in those days. And I would spend hours meticulously drilling holes into these boards. I've always been quite fascinated by technology and the mechanics of how things go together. Working alongside Dad in drilling holes, <laughs> watching and being very fascinated by his work at ABC Radio in the technical side. It's been something that I've been attracted to quite a bit. Our guest today is no different in many ways. She loves the mechanics of how things operate, of how things work, and nutting down into the nitty-gritty behind a website is something I'm sure she very much enjoys. However, there is more to her story than just the technical aspect. As you all hear, there's been quite some challenges that have been thrown her way and she's taken all of them in her stride. I'm Linda Bonnie, and this is Stories with a Sunday Roast. Denise Millay, welcome to the community. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's go back to the beginning just a little bit and can you tell me a little bit about how your upbringing, what that looked like and a little bit about what that meant to you and how you can reflect on that as an adult now as well? Sure, sure. I am one of five children uh -huh. and Ooh. I grew up in a, a little row house, you know, houses connected to each other. And in a neighborhood where every family had at least four children. So it was one of those very uh, tight and lots of kids around. And it was in the age and time where it was much more just maintenance of children. There wasn't as much development going on. So my parents were very young when they started having children. And I ended up as the oldest girl being the helper, being the one who, mm -hmm. you know, helped with the other ones. And, and I found that was my way to kind of survive was to anticipate needs and that kind of thing and do my best to be the helping child. So that made it good. But it was really an existence of, you know, you, you go to school, you go to church, you do your homework, you do your chores, lather, rinse, repeat, you know, that was your day. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and there wasn't a lot of resources to really uh, expand on that or, or make it a, a super enriched existence. It was just really uh, a cycle. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that was the beginning. And I think that really, I was itching to get out of the neighborhood as a teenager. And I thought, I don't want to live this way, you know? Yeah. And so that started going to college. What am I going to do? And all of it became linked to money was the ticket out. Jobs and money were the ticket out. So that's really how my upbringing influenced my direction, I guess, you know, and my, my ideas about how to survive. We were only actually talking about this a couple of nights ago because Tasmania is quite a smaller island and, yeah, for many people it doesn't feel like in your early 20s. It doesn't feel like it has the same opportunities as some of the bigger cities, uh, even with pay rates and opportunities and being able to work up that ladder or you spend a lot of time travelling to the bigger cities from Tasmania. And so there is quite a lot of people who do choose to leave in their university years or that sort of thing and then often find themselves coming back when they have families just because of the realisation of lifestyle. It doesn't sound like that was so much the case for you. No. But I understand that, yes. Yeah. Uh, if if I had grown up in a bucolic kind of setting that was enriching, I think I would long to go back. But I, I kind of look at it as more like imagine the East End of London, you know, kind of yeah. <laughs> way back when is is what I feel like I, I moved out of. And and it was fine. I mean, it was what people did, but it really it was just something that was not where I wanted to be forever. I have friends mm. who never left the neighborhood, who stayed there, who married, who had their children. And and it was just, they were comfortable there. And for mm-hmm. me, I just wasn't. So mm. I needed more. And it was hard to, it was the 80s. So women were regarded better than they were in the 70s and the 60s. But it was still not as easy to do corporate work when you were in the 80s. I mean, you were still kind of looked at as a little bit of a unicorn. So yeah, work in and progress. Had to. <laughs> mm. Mm. So, yeah. but uh, it was okay. I mean, it wasn't harmful. It was just the way it was, and I was ready to move on. So, yeah. And so I married somebody who yeah. who had the same experience too. So, uh huh. Yeah. Do you mm. want to expand on that a little bit? Where did you end up, university wise or study wise? I'm oh, guessing sure. you furthered your mm. education, etc. Yeah, my college years, I went to a small college called LaSalle College in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and I studied computer science, and I did find find a home in that kind of realm of, of science and math and all that fun stuff. So, And I, I met my ex-husband at a wedding after I graduated from college, mm-hmm. and I never thought I was going to get married. My parents were not the happiest of people together. So I didn't think that that's where I was going to go, but somehow that happened, you know how that happens. Mm -hmm. And we got married uh, two years after I graduated from college. And then I had my daughter soon after that. And then my son two years later. So I had two children and I had given up my 
uh, well, I took a job out of college with Arthur Anderson, which is a uh, a public accounting firm and they had a consulting arm that did computer work and programming and all that fun consulting stuff. So I worked for them for four years while I, I had just got married and up until I had my first child. And then I left because I couldn't leave her, you know, so I had this mm -hmm. thing about, uh, I couldn't mm -hmm. imagine finding a babysitter that would take my place because we were also in New Jersey and my husband worked in New York. He was in the financial area. So he had really crazy hours, you know, out the door at five and didn't come back till eight. And then I traveled too. So consulting was traveling and he traveled. So when my daughter was born, it was like, well, one of us has to be here. So I wasn't comfortable hiring somebody to step in for both of us yeah. around the clock. And so I made the, uh, the choice that he could make more money. And so I stayed home. Yeah, it's such a huge shift of identity and we're beginning to find out a lot more of our, as far as education now around that fourth, that fourth trimester and mm -hmm. matriescence and what a huge change in a woman's life having children is, not yeah. just physically but emotionally, mm -hmm. mentally. And, yeah, it's... While I'm looking down the barrel of it, I know <laughs> I know how much it really does change you. It can't not change you. Yeah. And it's a really big contrast from the sounds of it. You were working quite hard. Is that right? Yes, yes, I was. I believed in part of getting out of my previous place of origin that mm -hmm. I had to be super superwoman kind of thing. So yep. I worked 10, 12 hours a day, drank lots of coffee, didn't pay much attention to my health. And uh, yep. I wanted to be the perfect employee and the, the one who could solve all the tough problems and all those things. And I had this vision that I had to be excellent and I had to be excellent so that I could dive out of wherever I came from, you know, so, and I'm not sure mm. I succeeded, but that was in my head. And I think I carried that into my years at home too, but it was really difficult to leave my profession as, as I was so torn and really torn because yeah. I gained a lot of my identity from my work yep. and it gave me a lot of support and I felt great when I was at work and when I left that and I was kind of alone, it was like, whoa, I'm in New Jersey. I didn't grow up here. I don't have any family nearby. I don't have any friends. Mm -hmm. And it was stark contrast to being on my own in my own mind. And, you know, computer science is a very analytical thing. And I love the problems and the puzzles and, and all those things. And not having that was really hard. So Yeah, especially motherhood is a very emotional thing <laughs> oh my goodness and and you know you want to do it better so I growing up where I grew up and and my parents were young and that's what they you can only parent with the skills mm -hmm. you're given unless you see a different vision and they didn't have a different vision so I did and so I threw myself into being a great mom and trying to build a great life and it was a different time too because children were 
more focused on and their needs and development. And there there was a, a shift happening in raising children that I was a part of. So it was all about schools and education and teaching them things and giving them experiences. And so it was a lot of giving them what I didn't have was probably what I was thinking at yep. the time. Yeah. Did you find it quite lonely? Absolutely. Mm. Um, <laughs> now, mind you, uh, you don't have a lot of time to be lonely. I did branch out. I found some social clubs and some other things. And then, you know, once they go to school, you meet other people more like you and you have reason to interact and you really don't have that much time to be super social, you know? So, <laughs> no. You're lucky you get a shower. And, yeah. You know, so. yeah. Yeah. And it's something that I've talked about on other episodes as well that I know for me it could be really hard already to ask for my needs to be met (laughs) due to a lot of a lot of different layers and a lot of pressure and wanting to be that super role model slash mum slash person. (laughs) Yeah. And so when your basic needs are having a shower, which isn't actually a need it's also personal hygiene and (laughs) like (laughs) it shouldn't be really anything too major but when you are in the midst of tiredness or feeling very overwhelmed and trying to ask for that one simple thing can feel like you're climbing Mount Everest sometimes (laughs) yeah yeah you know and there was an element that my my husband was working a full day. He was yep. leaving at five yep. and coming home at eight. So he was beat too, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it was, um, it was a learning, learning curve too. And I was young. Absolutely. I was only 26 and or 24 when I had my daughter. So yeah. that's very young by today's standards. And now I know how young it is now. Mm-hmm. I didn't know at the time I thought I could do anything. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a shock. Oh, it is. But we had fun. We had great fun, my daughter oh. and I and my son. So I, I don't yeah. regret any of it. I think it was a great gift for me to spend all those years with them. And it was, a, I think, a gift for them to have mm. that foundation. So sometimes they may not have appreciated it, but <laughs> <laughs> on the whole, I think they did. Mm. So. so what do you think shifted for you, you say, when you were young and naive I guess and didn't know any better (laughs) tell me a little bit about what happened next well I still longed for my work and that Mm. ability to be in my own mind you know how that when you have the Mm -hmm. children and you can't complete a sentence in your own head because Mm -hmm. they're talking to you all the time oh yeah Yeah, it was a lot of (laughs) a lot of that and I did long to go back to work but I really wasn't sure how because in computer science everything changes so rapidly and fast and the things I learned in undergraduate school weren't there by the Mm. 90s by the time I was ready (sighs) so I went back and got my master's I went to New York University in Manhattan and I did a part-time master's program there so I I would have a babysitter to pick the kids up from school until I got back from classes a couple of days a week. And I did that for about a year and a half and got my master's. So I was reacquainted with computer science 
and I was all ready to go back to work because I actually was offered a job by IBM to oh, be wow. a network architect, but it was going to be a road warrior. It was going to be 12 hours a day. You know, it was going to be mm-hmm. flying all over and basically hiring multiple people to do what I was doing with my kids because my husband couldn't back off of his job either. He was doing very well. He was very successful. He was on yeah. Wall Street and that was not something that he could do, right? Mm -hmm. So I was going to do it and I was preparing myself mentally to do it and take the job. And we found out my son couldn't read. He was eight years old and he had been uh, fooling everybody by contextually putting things together um, for a number of years because he was that kind of smart. And wow. he, I mean, he couldn't, yeah, he, couldn't <laughs> he couldn't decode in mm-hmm. his head. So he doesn't hear the phonetics in his head. It's yep. a form of dyslexia. Yeah. And I also learned that my mother had dyslexia and I never knew. Uh-huh. And my grandmother had dyslexia and I never knew. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, like when I, I had a conversation with her, when we heard, found this out and she goes, oh, well, you know, I didn't get it until high school. I always wanted to start on the wrong side of the page. And I had to, it took me forever to yep. train myself to do it the other way. I was like, oh my God, mom, why didn't you tell me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you and know, I had no idea. Yeah. My so. eldest has also, his reading journey has been challenging at times and it's interesting because there's a really big contrast between my eldest and my second son who's picked it up in a heartbeat in mm-hmm. the middle of COVID year and lockdown and everything that was his learn to read foundation year. And mm-hmm. so now my eldest really, really enjoys reading because it has been that challenging journey. He'll read novels and series and the Lord of the Rings and all sorts of things, mm-hmm. whereas the other one is like, nah, yep. yeah, yeah, too easy. <laughs> well, you know, they come in and out of it too, you know that, Linda. Mm. It's going to be a cycle for all of them at their ah, own pace. But yeah. for my son, it was once we got him set up with a whole language approach because he yeah. was in a parochial school at the time where they were old school and they taught a lot of phonetics. Once we gave him the support to learn in a whole language fashion, he exploded because his vocabulary, it just grows ex- exponentially. Yeah. And we missed the signs. You know, when he was younger, instead of saying truck, he would say ambulance. So he was associating mm-hmm. pictures in his head and words that he would then reuse and connect for other things. And we didn't catch that. But he's fine now. I mean, again, he choose books down now and we got him through college and we got him through high school and and he's very successful and he's great so but at the time I couldn't delegate that responsibility to strangers Mm -hmm. and you know it was a pivotal time for him and I was just not I wasn't going to give that up to him so it was a little scary to do and I was fortunate that I could make that choice I had the ability financially to make it and that was a great gift that you know that I had that choice and I lived quite the charmed life as a married woman. So we had a beautiful home. We were in a great neighborhood. My kids went to phenomenal schools. We traveled, we did beautiful things and I had choices, which a lot of people didn't. So I don't bemoan any of that, but I, I really personally felt like I was missing my, yeah. uh, myself a little bit. Mm-hmm. So 
Mm-hmm. It's uh, a sacrifice fast, in a way. That, yeah. So mm. fast forward to they're out of college and I do get divorced and I have to put my life back together. So I decide to go back to work and I get a corporate job and yeah, well, jumped in with both feet, hands, head, everything, you know. Like, Finally. <laughs> yes. Yes. And crazy. Mm. But um, and I guess I was trying to make up for lost time as far as I had this vision of, you know, where I should be in my 40s. And I think I wanted everybody else to see it. And I wanted to prove that I was just as good as some of the younger people that were around me, which is interesting because you do it, whether you think you're doing it or not. And then, you know, I just, I worked for hours and hours, 12 hours a day. We traveled. So I leave on a Monday and fly somewhere, spend three three days in a hotel and then um, fly back on a Thursday work Friday and Saturday from home <laughs> and Sunday I would sleep and mm. lather, rinse, repeat. And it wasn't a drudge for a while. I was excited by it because I hadn't done it for so long. And I worked with some really nice people. They were a great team and we had some good times, but it wore it after three or four years. It was like, wow, this is not going to last. <laughs> you know, like this is not good. You know, yeah. so I wasn't feeling well. I had gained weight. My health was not great. And mm-hmm. uh, I could see it coming, you know, mm-hmm. and I just, I was burning out by doing all that, but I kept doing it because I was needed. It was a smaller company. There weren't a lot of people to step in and do things for you. So if you didn't do it, it didn't get done. And um, mm. <laughs> yeah. And I kept trying to put this forth so that I could make the money that I thought I should be making. And I got little dribs and drabs every year, but I didn't get the rewards that I should have gotten for all the efforts I was doing. And that was becoming very frustrating as well because I was a woman, because they didn't have to, Mm. lots of other things. So builds a bit of resentment, I think, as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. So I was really super frustrated, but, you know, I kept doing it. I love the clients. I was working in hospitals doing installing software and training nurses and doctors how to use it. And it was really rewarding. I love the training part. I love making people's processes work and helping them integrate it. I wasn't really as much of a programmer. I knew the technical, but I didn't do the technical as much as I did the functional, how to integrate it into your work. And I really love it, but it was exhausting. So Yeah. 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 Mm. So then I... um, (laughs) (laughs) oh just it casts me back to being in a management role for a retail store in my early 20s and similar to you I was working a lot of hours (laughs) bringing things home I remember paperwork being strewn all across the kitchen bench and dining table about accounts and all sorts mm-hmm. of things trying to bring it home because I felt like it should have been done already and yeah just a crazy crazy life that was pre-kids mind you but at the same <laughs> time I just I think back and yeah it didn't get me very far at all no but some <laughs> for some reason we think it will um, yeah and we just think if we just show people how much we can do they're mm-hmm. going to reward us for it and 
I took sick leave and then came back and was basically told I wasn't needed anymore. Mm. Yeah, right. Well, and then I was in a uh, hotel lobby in Michigan waiting for the rest of my team to come down at seven in the morning because we were heading over to the hospital for something that day. And I got a phone call from my doctor and she said my test results had come back and I had endometrial cancer. And um, at this stage, I'm in my fifties and I'm like, oh, well, that just stops everything. And you just kind of hear that word and you kind of go, oh my God, you know, everything mm-hmm. shifts, everything mm-hmm. turns into, wow. Okay. <laughs> Stop. Don't breathe. You know, it yeah. was, it was a little bit crazy. So it's um, like being slapped sideways in a way. Just Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. it was. And mm-hmm. you know, you instantly know what you have to do. You instantly wake up and say all those things you've been feeling about overdoing exhaustion stress, the chest pains you've been having in the morning when you get up thinking about all the things you have to do. And yeah, all that stuff, you kind of go, okay, that's got to stop, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and I'm fine. I was blessed to catch it early and I had surgery and everything's great. So I was really, really fortunate, but I had to stop. So after the surgery and everything, I went back to work shortly to wrap up things. And then I, I had to go, I had to stop doing it. So I left and um, I proceeded to sleep for a year. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, How did you do that after such a lifestyle of feeling like, I guess, from what you've just told me in a way, you almost felt like you had no choice in order to get out of the cycle and break that pattern that you mm-hmm. didn't want to repeat in a way you felt like you had to work hard. So then sleeping for a year, how was it <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I'm just trying to picture the contrast. Yeah, that work, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, what's funny is I sensed during my last few years of work that I had to find an alternative and I was tired of working for other people's dream and other Mm -hmm. people's purposes. I wanted to find my own. And so I started to study copywriting, direct response copywriting. And I did fall in love with marketing a little bit. And I thought that was very exciting in the online world as things were changing. And so I was watching it and studying it. I did some courses a little bit, you know. And so when this all happened, I was like, just going to stop because I was physically worn out and the surgery just was the icing, the cherry on top. So I just said, I'm going to give myself some time to recover. And I I didn't have a schedule, which was weird. (laughs) And mind you, I was very lucky because I did have savings. So I wasn't on the edge of a knife when it came to finances. So you know, all this is, I was in a very blessed position to have savings to be able to do this, but I just didn't care when I got up. I didn't care. You know, I, I kept to a schedule. I, I ate, took care of myself. I read books, but I did sleep a lot. I mean, I just, I would find myself getting up at 10 in the morning and I'd been getting up at five for years. I mean, just years. 
And so, and I would fall asleep. I made sure I didn't fall asleep on the sofa or in a chair. I always had to be in bed and I just slept. It was wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) It was wonderful. (laughs) And around 2019, in the fall of 2019, I I was like, okay, you know, I had my summer, my last summer, I'm going to, going to get going. And I had been thinking about writing a book and some other things. And I really knew I wanted to be a solo kind of work for myself, but I didn't have the idea of where or what. So I thought, well, I'll just start doing things and learning more. And I was starting to write a book about SEO and some other things and just getting started. And then the pandemic hit. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) And then it was like, oh, well, this is a tough time to be learning and putting yourself out there when everything's on hyperdrive, you know, (laughs) you're not ready for it because everybody's online and you're like, oh my God, I don't even know how to do all these things yet. Mm. And uh, here's my audience right in front of me and they're all locked in the house and I can't even really go there. So I started to try to get there you know yep fast fast tracked again yes 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 Mm. just jump ahead why not done it before do it again (laughs) so just going back to because yes it just does fascinate me and it's so far out of my understanding of essentially like you said sleeping for a year and sleeping a lot because that's not my current reality with three children and oh, doing a podcast, writing a book, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> <laughs> you can't imagine it right now. It did, you get sick? did you get sick of the four walls? No, no, not at all. Mm. You know, and I think that was because I had been traveling. I had been living in hotels and bad beds and eating bad food. And yeah, no. I mean, I I like to paint, I like to read, and I can't, couldn't tell you the last time I had read fiction until that, that time I was at home. So yeah, yeah, I woke it back up again, all those things. So it was good. What sort of fiction were you reading? Do you remember any of those books in that time? Uh, You know, I, I tend towards the fantasy and the espionage kind of Robert Uh. Ludlum and Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I love the Hunger Games. It sounds funny; it's young adult fiction, but I, I love the stories that they weave with that stuff. And there's a Mirror Visitor series I've read, and you know, I would just pick up things that the story looked interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so, <laughs> and how did your family feel about this oh, life changing event? Um, well, they were all scared for me, um, Mm. but they were all super supportive. I mean, and my children have been, you know, they're 32 and 34 now. So my daughter was in California at the time because she went there after her schooling to work and live. And my son had finished college and he was on his way. He was in California at the time as well for a few years. Now he's back on the East Coast. So they weren't in my space every day. They Mm. were concerned, but they were living their lives. So that made it a little bit easier as well. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't have anybody to take care of that I was going to let down by sleeping. You know, (laughs) I kind of got to be on my own, which was good. So 
Yeah. yeah, they were all super supportive. My siblings were worried and instantly wanted to come to the hospital. Yeah, like the first one in the five to have a serious thing. And so they were all a little panicky, but they were yeah. good. They were supportive. Yeah. 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 And fast forward to what you're doing in 2022. What does that look yeah. like now? Well, you know, I found a home in a community of entrepreneurs that are supporting one another and expanding our reach. (laughs) Yes, how about that? And it has been phenomenal. Um, Yeah. Yeah, right? Mm. And I think where I was flailing before was uh, I didn't know what direction. I didn't know what to ask for because when you're a consultant, you do everything. Somebody has a problem, you fix it right? Uh That's what you do. Uh So I did that for a number of years. And even when I was home with my kids, I would do nonprofit stuff and volunteer for boards. And it was always the technology committee and it was always doing reports and studies and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's what you did. And I just felt like I was flailing in the entrepreneurial world because I did so many things as a consultant. I didn't know what to focus on in in our Mm -hmm. digital world, right? I felt like I could do so many things. So I was I was telling people I could do so many things and that made it so nobody wanted to talk to me about doing anything. Oh, yeah. yeah. You and know? how common is that story? <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm multifaceted. Yes. I wear many hats and that was me. Like still and, is me sometimes. <laughs> and it works in the corporate world because they take advantage mm-hmm. of all those hats, but mm-hmm. it doesn't work when you're talking to an audience that you don't know. And so one of the things that I've found, and I'm sure you have, is how to hone in a message and how to find something that we really love doing so that we're passionate about it. And, you know, our eyes light up when we talk about it and we can convey that to people that need it. And so that's been really wonderful. And so now I'm working on the findability and I'm working on... Talking about technology in plain, simple ways. A lot of the things I did when I was training people is how to take the overwhelm and the craziness out of people's feelings when they use tech and how to make it better for them. So that's where I am now. So it's been good. Yeah. And I'd never really thought about it in that way to a degree of how when you are in corporate, it is... A, a an asset to have all of these skills and many areas that you want to concentrate on, etc. And then, I, for many many years, I convinced myself that oh, having all these interests is serving me so well, and I'm fully satisfied. But actually, no, I felt like you. I was flailing around and trying to do bits and pieces and dipping a toe into that and this and mm. everything else and just finding these conversations alone mm. and then extending that into a book which you can hold in your hand and have essentially for as long as you want to or f- pass it around and having that in words outside the internet for me <laughs> is, it's pretty amazing. But yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's interesting because if I think also back to some of my corporate roles and that ability to do many things, sometimes I would overstep the mark in that and perhaps tread into other people's waters, mm-hmm. <laughs> which also wasn't favourable at the no. time either. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I also think, and this is going to take us on a different tangent here, but I think as women <laughs> being caretakers and being the empaths that we are mm-hmm. the, the nurturing gender, uh-huh. our default is to care. Our default is to see yeah. a problem and try to fix it. Mm-hmm. And I believe that our other gender is their default is to to assess the situation, do what has to be done and fi- and do that, right? They are not yeah. uh, thinking about how to make things better, how to care for things and make them grow or like they have a different default. I want to say they're yeah. competitive mm-hmm. in a good way and they're about being on a team and being a player and, you know, doing the best job they can, but they're not there trying to fix problems. And I think we are bred to fix problems. We are oh, bred yeah. to nurture mm-hmm. and make things better. And I think that they, their default is different. And in, in the corporate world, that's very difficult if you're in a structure that doesn't default to the way we are, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, again, thinking about a recent conversation I had with another podcast guest, another person that will feature in a chapter, he was talking about how by fixing everybody else's problems, it essentially felt like he was the hero mm-hmm. as well. So it's not necessarily always Gender. as it seems or as it appears because by finding a solution in a way that felt like there was a fixing a problem degree mm. to it. So it's really interesting how we can perceive or interpret it different ways because at the yeah. end of the day there is still a common denominator where we do want to better ourselves or other people or those around us. It's just different approaches and different ways of thinking. Yeah, there are, <laughs> The hierarchy yeah. of corporate has changed a lot, I'm sure, since the 60s and 70s, but it still has the underpinnings of some of the things that nurturing and doing everything, it doesn't lend itself to that. So No, no, not at all. But it's individual too. It's an individual on what your goals are. And I don't think as a young person, I really knew what my goals were. I just, just plowed into it to be better, you know, Yeah. and to ascend so I could achieve my goals. Right. And then as Mm -hmm. I got older, I tried to understand it and I thought I was doing it right. But, you know, I dove in with two feet, two hands, my head, everything, you know, generally just results in a belly flop as well. Pretty much, you know, and it was probably the stress. I don't know if I would have ended up with the same illness or outcome if I hadn't done this. I have no idea, but you know, I know the stress was affecting me and I watched, I let it happen too long. I think if that was one thing that I could tell anybody is you got to listen to your body and you got to say, oh, those chest pains aren't cool. You know, Mm -hmm. you're only 57. You shouldn't have chest pains like that, you know, and uh, listen to those things because they do cause damage, you know, Mm -hmm. but all good now. Yeah. Look, And I think that's what's so important to me about something like the Sunday Roast because it does give a little bit that opportunity to fill up our bellies with good food and get to that spot where we 
get to have a doze on the couch or like yes, there's yes. just a certain slowness in that which also feels like home and also mm-hmm. it's intriguing to me how we don't spend enough time doing that, gathering around and taking time to cook good food or that sort of thing. It's, yeah, it's all part of the unravelling that's happening in these conversations and no doubt will happen more as I progress as well. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, the Sunday dinners are uh, something I did a lot of with my kids. Can you tell me about one of your favourite memories? Sure. Well, I guess I'll give you a little backstory. It's my mother's mother's mother. Ah. Worked as a hotel <laughs> cook at oh, a hotel wow. in Philadelphia. Yep. And she took some of the cooking things and passed them on to her daughter. So as a kid, we were very fortunate. And my grandmother made some amazing roasts, literally amazing roasts. So everything was coated in salt and there was lots of butter and there was lots of onions and Everything was just super yummy. And they grew all of their vegetables in their tiny little plot of land in their backyard. So we'd have peppers and Brussels sprouts and zucchini and cucumbers that were fresh and tomatoes. So all of my young years, we'd go to my grandparents every Sunday after church Mm. and have (laughs) an early dinner because their European dinner was you'd eat at one o'clock. And the smells of going in the house and that roast beef and sitting down and you'd have a green salad and it was a full meal with the mashed potatoes and everything. And it was just so rich and creamy and, and wonderful. And I appreciate that so much now. Mm. I'm sure I didn't as a teenager because I didn't want to go to my grandparents' house every Sunday. Yeah. uh, I have some great memories of, I can taste the roast. I can smell the onions and butter waiting to go on Brussels sprouts. I can taste the mashed potatoes and the lumps in them and everything and the noise of the clattering (laughs) clattering knives and and spoons and things in the kitchen and the sound of them doing dishes afterwards so yeah Yeah. so many great memories of that that I didn't appreciate as much then as I do now and how much how formative that was Um, I was kind of a shy kid in school so I didn't have tons of friends. I mean, there were tons of kids in the neighborhood and there were a few that were comfortable to hang out with, but not really super social as a teenager or as a young kid. And so it was nice to just go somewhere different, get in the car and be able to walk around. And my grandmother had an amazing flower garden. So I fell in love with roses and daffodils and you know, she was always growing something. So it was just uh, like going into a wonderland as a kid, you know, so. mm. <laughs> in a tiny little house. A so, tiny, tiny house? Tiny. Yeah, it was a tiny little row house. I mean, it, it just in a different neighborhood in Philadelphia and it you, you wouldn't think much of it, but she turned that soil into black gold and grew yeah. roses and irises and... um they grew up on a farm. Yep. So my grandparents brought those skills to the city with them and pumpkins. And they just, in their little plot of land, they would have these little things and they'd tend them. That's what they did. They got up early and they took care of the gardens and they 
captured rainwater. And so we'd go with that metal watering can and we'd go water all the flowers while we were there as little. And <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it was interesting. And then I remember as being like a five-year-old when I would leave, my grandmother would wrap tin foil and a wet paper towel around some cut flowers for me to yep. take home. So I had yep. my little bouquet of flesh, fresh flowers to take back to the Northeast, you know, yeah. to our home. So it was a what, special what, time. Was it squishy in there with five five of you? <laughs> oh, God, yes, yes. Um, yeah, it was just a tiny little house. So I, I think something else there is like 16 feet wide and maybe 40 feet deep. That's how wow. small. Two stories, three yep. bedrooms, three little bedrooms. So we had three girls in one room and two boys in the other. And uh, it was pretty tight. It was very tight. Mm. Yep. Was there roast dinners on laps or because I well, imagine... I mean, we had we had a we had a dining room table, and so we'd have big dinners where they just put the kids table up, put the card table up for kids, and yeah. So, it's, but it was beautiful, yeah, in its own way. So comforting. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I love asking this question towards the end of these conversations too, because I just feel like it wraps it all up in a neat little bow. <laughs> no way, neat little bow. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, yeah, I really appreciate you diving in a little bit further and unpacking and hearing more of your story. So it's, yeah, really great to explore and have this conversation. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's, it's been so great to talk to you. Yeah, always. Many of the conversations and people that I've had the pleasure to join with have turned into Dia and Mia friends and Denise thank you for offering so much of who you are in a way that I feel very honoured to witness another great friend who we get to witness on stories with a Sunday roast is Kerry Zal. Kerry is a lifelong friend who is almost one in a million or maybe not as those friendships have developed over the course of this project. Kerry is a fellow Aussie just over the water in Melbourne. Let's take a quick listen. Every now and again they get on their bikes and they start doing laps in the street and they go, whoop, who's that? What's going on? Oh my god, watch it, watch it. <laughs> Old habits die hard. They do, they do. My husband, my husband is convinced that I've got a spreadsheet for every car that goes down the street because, but I don't, I promise, I don't. I probably should have when I lived in the country because that was, that was quite unique. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To hear more about current projects and the book, head over to my website, lindabonny.com. I gladly welcome you to the community. Thank you so much for joining us.